Heavenly Father, as we um, talk about who you are and we talk about your, your, your coming back and we talk about all these things, God, um, may we not be bogged down by the, the worries we have. May we not be bogged down by the pressures that we have. May we recognize that, God, when we come and we meet with you, and God, when we will be with you, um, that, God, all of that will fade away. And, and so, God, I, I pray that now in this time we'd be focused on you. Um, that, God, you would give us your perspective. That, God, you are sovereign. You are ruler of all. You're over all. You're in control of all things. And, God, may our worries and our fears and all of that, may that fade away in light of you. So, God, we love you. We thank you for this time to meet with you. And we just ask that you meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can remain seated. I normally get to say you can sit down, and so I feel a little weird not being able to tell you that. Would you guys stand up so I can tell you to sit down? I see that. You, thank you, guys. Thank you. I see the true followers are. Thank you, guys. Now sit down. Thank you. All right. Good job. No, sit. Okay. Good boy. Um, anyway, I, I want to make a couple announcements before we get started. Um, first of all, every Wednesday from 12 to 1 in this room, uh, we have a prayer meeting. If you guys can come by, you can't, if you can't spend the whole hour, I understand. If you can run in, run out, spend five minutes. But it's a time for our church to say that no matter what, Wednesday from, from noon to 1, we will be praying. We will be bringing the needs of the church. Any of those prayer requests that you submit on, those, uh, on the tear-offs, on the bulletin tear-offs, that we pray for those during that time. We'll be praying for our church. We'll be praying for each other. We'll be praying for our world. Um, and so if you can make it at any point, just come in. Some people come in on their lunch break. They literally drive in. They're here for five minutes and they leave. But it's, uh, it's us coming together as Christ Church, submitting to, uh, uh, to God together in prayer. And so please, please join us if you can. Um, also, I'd like to say uh, uh, the, the CDs of the messages are in the lobby. Um, if, if, you need, if you know someone who needs one or anything like that, you can grab those. They're free. Um, and if, if, they're, if we run out for not there, just let the office know. Also, you can go to our website, ccbartlett.org, and you can find them there. You can burn them to a CD yourself. Um, if you don't know how to do that, then do you, I don't I don't know how you found the website, all right? So anyway, go to ccbarlett.org, um, and you can find it there. And I would ask, if you can do that, rather than grab a CD, I would ask that you do that um, so that the people who do need the CDs, um, that they're available for them as well. Um, I apologize. Last week's message, I don't know if it's up yet or not. Um, I normally upload them, and um, I just got super sick last week. So if you notice, there's still some nasally sounding. I sound a little bit more nasally than I normally do. Um, I apologize for that, um, but get off my back. I was sick, all right? Uh, but I am feeling better, so I appreciate that. And Matt's sick. Matt's super sick. Matt was real sick this morning, and he was still here by the grace of God. So um, I also want to say this. I tend to talk quickly, all right? And I recognize that. Um, and, and so thank you for laughing. But I do, I tend to talk quickly, and, and, and there's a lot that we're going to talk about this morning, and so I don't want you to get overwhelmed. I know some of you are, are, are note takers, and you're out there, and you're like, oh, oh, I, gotta, oh I can't keep up, right? And I know some of you don't take notes, and, and, and that's equally as, as dumb. And so here, here's what I would say to you. Here's what I would say to you. Um, grab something that means something to you. 
Grab one thing that means something to you and write that down and stick with that. Um, if, if you memorize everything that we ever say up here, if you memorize uh, the entire scripture and yet you don't do it, you don't act on it, you don't make a change to your life, apply it to your life, then what good is it? Faith without works is dead. Um, and so I, that's what I would ask you to do this morning. Grab onto one thing, hold onto one thing, hold onto one thing besides a joke that I tell and, and, and we'll be good, all right? So I wanna encourage you to do that. And um, lastly, can I say this? Because I've had a lot of people from the church uh, text me this, this week or Facebook me or call me even and, and ask me what, what our stance is on this. And um, people have been asking me about uh, the death of Osama bin Laden and, and where should we stand as Christians on it. And I'll say this. I want to say it real quick. And if you disagree with me, that's fine. You, you have every right to be wrong. Um, but, uh, but I would say this. Um, God has given authority to governments uh, to, to, um, to, to determine justice and to give justice. And so he gave our, our government the authority to, to seek out Osama bin Laden and bring him to what they thought was justice. And they thought that his death was justice. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating justice. I don't think there's a single thing wrong with celebrating justice. I don't think there's a single thing wrong with people gathering outside the White House, singing God Bless America, and chanting USA, wearing red, white, and blue for the rest of your life since that day. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But the Bible does say in Ezekiel 18 that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. So in the same time, we have to be careful. Are you delighting in justice or are you delighting in the death of someone who is now eternally separated from God? Because if you're delighting in the death of someone who is now eternally separated from God, or you're delighting in the fact um, that, that you got what you feel is revenge, then your heart and your attitude is far from God's. God, even in Osama bin Laden's death, did not delight, did not take pleasure in his death. So, if, you, if you're delighting and you're taking pleasure in justice, more power to you. But I would be careful. If you're delighting in death, your heart is not God's heart. Because God does not delight in the death of the wicked. Are we cool? So delight in justice. Do not delight in death in any circumstance. Especially with the attitude of vengeance. I heard a, a pastor preach a mediocre sermon on retaliation recently. Maybe you need to look it up. All right? Uh, I'd, I'd like to say this as we get started. Happy Mother's Day. How many mothers do we have? Go ahead and raise your hand. I mean, mothers. Well done, well done. Everybody, give it up for your mothers. Come on, give it up for our mothers. Well done, mothers. Um, how many future mothers? We got? No, okay. Uh, well, we want to say happy Mother's Day to you. My mother's here, my grandmother's here, and even my mother-in-law. I'm mothered out, all right, right now. And so I want to say happy Mother's Day to them. And then in honor of my mother, um, my mother grew up in Somerville. I'd like to tell a Somerville mother story real quick as we get started. Right. I'm sorry I did say that wrong. Somerville. All right? Um, and so there aren't consonants. Okay? It's just Somerville. All right? And so anyway, she's from Somerville. So I'd like to start with a quick story. There was a, a doctor who went to go deliver in, in Somerville. And uh, at this house that he went to, it didn't have electricity. So this was a long time ago. This is probably when my dad was in his mid-30s. And so anyway... Um, it's not Father's Day. I can say that. And so anyway, uh, he went to deliver, and they didn't have electricity, and so it was at night. And so he asked the five-year-old little brother if he would hold the lantern um, while he delivered. And so he did, and, and the, the doctor delivered the baby, and he spanked the baby so it could have its, its first breath. And then he held it up to the little brother and said, um, well, what do, you, what do you think? What do you think about this little baby? And he says, hit him again. He shouldn't have crawled up there in the first place. <laughs> so that's in honor of my mother from Somerville. And uh, thank you, Mom. 
and I love you, and I'm glad you're here. All right, uh, let's get serious. We are, um, we're... We are in a spiritual war. And if you were with us last week, we talked about that. That we, whether you realize it or not, we're in a spiritual war. And one of the greatest uh, uh, tactics of the enemy is to convince you and to make you think that you are not in a war. Uh, the greatest casualty there is is someone who has no idea he's even, he's even in a fight. Um, and so we talked about that. The reality is you are in a spiritual war. And, and in Ephesians, what we're going to start to do together is we're going to start to see uh, what, what, what God tells us, which is to put on the full armor of God. So we're going to go piece by piece in this armor and see what does that mean. If we want to have a fighting chance to stand up against the attacks of the enemy, what must we do? And so we're going to start that today because we are definitely in a battle, spiritual battle. And the first piece of armor we're talking about today is called the belt of truth. It's called the belt of truth. Now when I say truth, we most often think of truth telling. That's what we think of. Telling the truth. It's kind of like the thing you don't do when someone shows you an ugly baby. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, we say ba- all babies are cute. Let's be honest. No, they're not. That's just what you say to parents of ugly babies. It's true, right? Like there are ugly babies. It's kind of like I, I heard like this lady, she got on a bus and the bus driver said, oh, that is an ugly baby. And the woman was just so angry and she goes and she sits down on the back of the bus and, and she's so angry. And this man says, what's wrong? And she said, she said, that bus driver insulted me. And he said, he shouldn't insult you. He's a public servant. You paid to be on this bus. He has no right to do that to you. And she said, you're right. I'm going to go give him a piece of my mind. And he says, he says, I think that's a great idea. Here, here, let me hold your monkey for you. And so truth telling, truth telling is what we think about. When we think of truth, we think of truth telling. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about truth, we need to have a deeper understanding of truth, okay? So we're talking about truth. I'm not talking about just telling the truth. What is the truth? So if you would, if you would please put your philosophy caps on this morning, we're going to delve into the idea of what is truth. And so if we're going to deal with philosophy, let's deal with two great minds of philosophy. One is Nietzsche and one is Aristotle. Um, now Nietzsche was, a, uh, uh, was an atheist and he was most well known for his God is dead um, uh, theory and talks. And, and, as, and, so, and he was also really well known. He, he grew a great mustache. And so anyway, that was Nietzsche. Um, but Nietzsche's account of truth um, was that he assumed that man's mind through a series of disconnected events um, is so disconnected and so far removed from reality that truth is nothing but an illusion and so therefore it's relative to each one's mind. And here's, here's his quote on this, which might, might make it make more sense. Sensation leads nowhere to truth, but contents itself with receiving stimuli. So what he's saying is that the interpretations uh, uh, of your mind is what shapes your truth. In other words... Um, <coughs> Excuse me. Your mind uh, might be seeing something one way, and to make it make sense in its in its in its mind, in your mind, uh, it will create its own metaphors. It will create its own analogies to try to make sense of what it's viewing, of what it's experiencing. And so, you might view something completely different than I do. Therefore, nothing has its own truth. Your mind creates its own truth. Your mind creates its own reality. Therefore, truth is an illusion. And it's all relative to your mind because each one's mind makes up its own reality. Does that make sense? So that's Nietzsche's view. Now Aristotle, on the other hand, who is a, a student of Plato and a uh, very famous robe wearer. Uh, Aristotle, he, he went the opposite way and he was the father of the correspondence theory. And here's what he said. Here's his quote. 
Truth means knowing existent objects, and falsity does not exist, nor error, but only ignorance. And so what he's saying is that truth is truly objective. Everything, every object has its own integrity. It exists. It, it, it has its own reality. And just because you don't know it or just because you view it wrongly doesn't mean that that's what it is. It's not relative to how you view it. It's not relative to how you define it. It just is. And so what he's saying is that truth is absolutely objective. Um, and it's not relative in our culture. And so uh, that's his conclusion, that everything has its integrity and truth is objective. And that's where we're going today. So truth is objective. Regardless of what you say, regardless of, of what you put on it, it is what it is. And so this is kind of hard because our culture and our world sets its own truth so many times. And so we're talking about truth being objective, and yet our culture and our world sets its own truth. It's kind of like, uh, you know, their laws are different where you go depending on even cities or depending on state, laws change. Like, for example, in Tennessee, no Christian parent may require their children to pick up trash from the highway on Easter Day. All right? So I don't know if that's your tradition for Easter, but stop it. You're breaking the law. All right? Um, In Dyersburg, Tennessee, it is illegal for a woman to call a man for a date. But I know a couple guys from Dyersburg, and I'm telling you, it's probably not a problem. Uh, So anyway, in Alaska... In Alaska, while it is legal to shoot bears, it's illegal to wake one up from a nap to take a picture with it. Now, hang on. I have a couple things to say about this one. One, how many times did that happen that they had to make it a law? And number two, like, that's crueler. Like, waking it up is crueler than shoot. So it's like, we see a bear, like, get the camera, I'm going to take a picture. No, don't you wake that. You shoot it in its head first, all right? And then we'll take the picture, okay? Don't be a jerk, all right? That's weird. All right. Uh, In California, in San Francisco, it's illegal to wipe one's car with used underwear. It's illegal. Again, number one, how many times did that happen? And number two, how will Chris Ellison ever wash his car again? Like, seriously, it'd be impossible. Sometimes, I gotta be honest, sometimes I use his underwear. They are big, and they cover a lot of area. I get the hood. Um, and in Indiana, in Indiana and South Bend, it is illegal um, for monkeys to smoke cigarettes. Again, how many times you walk down the street and you see a monkey smoking a cigarette, and you say, we got we to gotta write our congressman on this one. This is gives becoming a problem. But anyway, like, so laws are different, and so there's truth. Law is truth, right? But it's different where you go. And so it's relative, again. It, it's subjective to where you are. And our world sells us different truths, if you will. Um, like, for example, our culture, uh, it sells the lie. It, our culture used to sell the lie, and some places still do, that some men are inferior to other men based on the color of their skin. But that was accepted as a truth in our culture. Um, In other cultures today, women are seen as inferior simply because they're women. And in some cultures, that's sold as a truth. And in our world today, our culture sells us lies all the time that your value is based on how much money you have in your bank account. Your success is based on the car that you drive. Do you understand? Like our, our culture selling us its own truths all the time. And so what we have to ask ourselves then, if truth is objective and our culture is subjecting truth to it, then we must look past our culture. What we need to find is a universal truth. That's what we're looking for. Something that can be 
true over all cultures, over all the earth. And I think that we find that, and we find that in the gospel. We find that in the truth of who Jesus is. And this is the truth we're talking about today. Think about it. Think about this. Tell me this is, if this is not universally true. Think about the truth of the gospel. Number one, there's a creator. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. The second thing, uh, creation's broken. Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. This is a universal truth. Everyone can look and see at creation and everyone can look and see that creation is broken. And if you, in, in anywhere in the world, whether it be a tsunami uh, uh, across the ocean or whether it be the Mississippi flooding, our creation is broken, period. Mankind is broken and separated from the creator. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know that we're not perfect. And we all know that if there is a perfect creator who created all things, we aren't perfect. So we fall short of his perfection. That's a universal truth. Mankind, because of that, needs a savior. Colossians 2.13, you were dead because of your sin. And then the great news, the good news of the gospel, the universal truth we're talking about today is that the savior came. We look at this in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So not only did the Savior come and save us, but the Savior reigns. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the universal truth we're talking about. This is the belt of truth that we have to wear. That the reality is is that our sin has separated us from God and yet God loves us. He sent his son for us and because of his son and what his son has done we are forgiven uh, before God and we stand before him righteous and we can have a relationship with him. This is the truth. This is a universal truth that goes throughout all all of creation, and this is the belt that we are to wear. This is the belt of truth. Um, and very simply, very simply, Jesus is the truth, and he claims to be. John fourteen six. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Other cultures, other religions, other philosophies will try to tell you their truth, which is if you do this, you'll be right with God. If you do this, you'll, be, you'll, you'll find the favor of God. If you do this, you'll have a happy life. You'll have a full life and all these things. And Jesus says, no, the truth is, is that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You want a full life. You want to know God. You want to be right with God. It's through me. Trust me in what I have done, period. And this is the truth we're talking about. And this is the first piece of armor we put on is this truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. And truth is not relative. It is objective and it applies to all mankind. And Jesus is that truth. So how do we wear the belt of truth? You talk about that like, what does that mean? How do we wear the belt of truth? And I think to answer how do we wear it, we need to ask, what is it? What is the belt of truth? Why did he say a belt? Like there's all kinds of other pieces of armor. Why a belt? And as we talk about the characteristics of the belt, we will see how we put it on. Um, so pay attention to these, um, the, the characteristics of the belt. Now, in the first century, there are many different types of armor. And depending on how wealthy you were, it was how good your armor was. Um, so someone who was, was poor might go out there, you know, with a tunic, and they might have like a very small shoulder guard and maybe a shin guard um, and a belt. And 
that'd be about it, right? But someone who's rich, they might have chain mail. Uh, they might have a lot of strips of, of metal going across their body. Um, but it all depended on that. But regardless of how rich or how poor you were, you had a belt. Everybody had a belt, right? Um, and so as, as they had this belt, the, the first thing that you put on, the, the thing that was closest to your body was your belt. The, the first thing that you put on, the thing that, that was the, 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 before you could do anything else, it was your belt. And so the belt was precious. It was a precious thing. Because if you didn't have the belt, then you weren't putting your armor on. Because you, you couldn't. It enabled you to, to secure the rest of your armor. It enabled you to wear your armor. And so it was precious to people. Um, and so uh, in the same way, uh, living a life uh, with Christ, um, our relationship with Christ needs to be precious to us. First and foremost, before anything else, it must be precious. Uh, so many people try to live a Christ-like life without Christ, right? So many of us try to live this life uh, and, and go fight this battle without Jesus, you know, without a relationship with him. And the very first thing you have to have is, is this, uh, you have to have, um, you have to find Jesus precious to you. And, and it's kind of like, I, I've told this story before, but when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he came to Jesus and he said, I've done everything right. I've kept all of your commands. I've, I've uh, you know, all the 10 commandments done them, right? Like I've, I've done everything that, that a person can do. And Jesus is like, okay, that's, that's all well and good. Sell everything that you have, give it all to the poor and then come follow me. And then what happened? The guy walked away sad because he had a lot of stuff. And so what was the point of that? Jesus said, that's great. All the stuff you did, cool, good job. But the point is, Jesus doesn't want mainly your actions. He wants your heart. He knew that that guy's heart was with his wealth, was with his money. And so Jesus said, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I'm after. I want your heart. I want that relationship. So it has to be precious to us um, first and foremost. And because the joy of Christ isn't mainly found in his law first. It's found in him. That's what he saved you to. He saved you to himself. And so the joy of Christ that we talk about, the joy of knowing Christ is in knowing Christ. Not simply doing for Christ, but knowing him is the joy of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9. I know you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Christ must be precious to you first. Not his people, not his church, not his works, not the things that, not his rewards, nothing like that. All of those are great, but they come second to him being precious to you first. He must be precious to you. Um, John Newton uh, if you guys know John Newton uh, is, wrote Amazing Grace, uh, was a rough, dirty sailor with a foul mouth and an appetite for rotten living. He hated life and life hated him. He was the captain of a slave ship. Uh, then someone placed in his hands a copy of Thomas A. Kempis, The Imitation of Christ. He also had the gift of a good mother who told him about the Savior when he was young. And then he, when he, was, and then he was saved. He went all over England sharing his faith. Well past his retirement age, he had to have an assistant stand in the pulpit with him on Sundays. He was nearly blind and spoke with, with, with whispers, but nothing could keep him from preaching while he still had breath. One Sunday while delivering his message, he repeated the sentence, Jesus Christ is precious. His helper whispered to him, but you've already said that twice. 
Newton turned to his helper and said loudly, Yes, I've said it twice, and I'm going to say it again. The stones in the ancient sanctuary fairly shook as the grand old preacher said again, Jesus Christ is precious. More than anything today, if I told you, if you take one thing away, write it down, write this down. Jesus Christ is precious. The reward of knowing Christ, yes, heaven, yes, riches with him, yes, but the reward of knowing Christ more than anything is knowing Christ. And if he's not precious to you, then forget trying to find fight the battle. Because why do you fight? You fight for what matters to you. You fight for what you love and he must be precious to you. And so some of you out there, you're trying to live a Christian life. You're trying to do what's right, but Jesus isn't precious to you. Church is precious to you. You love church. The people that go to church are precious to you. Your family's precious to you. Vacation Bible school, you, you love those kids. Those kids are precious to you, but he's not precious to you. And so that must be the first thing that we put on. Jesus must be precious to us. And how is he going to be precious to us unless you spend time with him? Unless you spend time in his word. And as you read about his love for you, you read about his grace and his mercy. He becomes all the more precious to you. So number one, the belts of truth must be precious to us. The second thing, as he becomes precious to you, he becomes your foundation. And that's exactly what the belt was. It was a foundation. What the belt did was it held the armor in place. A lot of the armor in the first century were strips of metal, and they all tied together in one place, and that was at the belt. The belt held all of the armor together, and it held it in place. In the same way, the truth of Jesus determines how we relate to him uh, uh, and, and how we relate to others in this fight. So as we recognize who Jesus is which he's this, look at Colossians 1.17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And Acts 17.28, for in him we live and move and have our being. So as we see that he's completely in control, as we see that he's completely over all things, then he becomes our foundation and he becomes our motivation in all things. So as he's precious to you, then he becomes your foundation in all things. And here's what I mean by that then you start to do things his way in your life. And, and, and let me give you some examples. For example, in your marriage, Ephesians 5, 32 through 33 says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All of a sudden, the foundation of your marriage is not simply that lovey-dovey feeling that you have for your wife, which we got to be honest, obviously comes and goes uh, um, uh, in our lives. There are times I know where Angela is saying, I love you through gritted teeth. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are times where I might be a little annoying, all right? I don't know how that's possible, but I know it happens, okay? And so, even in, in, and now our marriage is based in something deeper than us. Our marriage is based in Christ. And so, as I serve Angela, I'm serving what's most precious to me, Christ. And so he becomes our foundation in our marriages. He also becomes our foundation in our parenthood. Look at Psalm 145.4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This ring I have on my finger is not for my, for my other wife. I'm not Mormon. Um, but this other ring on my finger, it has Maxim's name on it. And it has, um, it has his birthday and it has this scripture reference. That I will declare the mighty acts of God from one generation to the next. Now the foundation for me as a father is not to keep 
him out of jail. Uh, you know, I, I don't judge how well I do as a father is, is, you know, how many times the police show up at my door and say, is this your kid? Now I judge my success as a father as have I shown him the truth of who Christ is? Have I been an example to him of the truth of the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ? And so now even in, as being a parent, as being a father, my foundation is what's most precious to me. And I show that to my son. And you do that. You do that as parents. Maybe you do it uh, subconsciously, but you do that. You show your kids what matter most to you. So dads, when you guys spend 12 hours at the office, you're showing your kids what's most important to you. But I'm providing for them. Really? Really? You're providing for them when you spend time with them. And so as you, whatever you're doing, whatever you spend your time on, whatever you talk about the most, that's what you're showing to them is most precious to you. And now what's most precious to me, which is Jesus, is now my foundation, not only in my marriage, but also as a parent. Maybe even with your coworkers, he becomes your foundation. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so here's the reality. If he isn't your foundation, if he isn't your motivation in life, whether, whether it's dealing with your coworkers, with your kids, with your spouse, or whoever it is, with your family, with your neighbors, whatever, if he isn't your foundation, then what happens? You're your foundation. And what is, what is that about? Your foundation is one that is selfish. Uh, I mean, that's the world we live in. The world we live in is all about us. It's all about me, right? Like what I like, what I want. There are a million radio stations out there, so I don't have to listen to your music. You know, I have an iPod with a thousand songs in it, so I don't have to listen to your music. I'll just stick my, my headphones in. You know what I'm saying? Like we live in a world of choice, and it's choice based on what you want. It's a consumer society. And so it goes back to this selfish, selfless thinking. And, and as we think selfishly, what does it do? It's destructive not only to us, but it's destructive to the people around us. It destroys our relationships with other people. And so as Christ is precious to you and he becomes your foundation, um, then it affects every relationship you have. And it affects them positively. It affects them for the kingdom. Um, and so as he becomes your foundation and your motivation, then he becomes your identity. Um, the belt was just that. The belt in, in, of the armor, it, it marked a lot of people's identity. Most soldiers wore two belts. One would be close to the body, maybe under the armor, holding it together. But if they, if they had one of those, then they had one on the outside, which held either their sword or their dagger. And it was very ornate, depending on, again, how rich you were and your status in life. It, was, it could be very ornate or it could be very simple. And you could tell if someone had a lot of money, not based on the car they drove, but the belt they wore, right? And so you would look and you would see that and you'd say, that guy, oh, that guy's doing pretty good. That's, that's, a, that's a nice looking belt, right? And so that's how you would determine status and it would mark them. It would be their identity. And so what do I mean that Jesus now must be your identity? I don't mean that you have to grow a beard and every time you talk to someone say hello, right? Like I'm not saying you don't have to be weird, right? Like you don't have to wear a robe around and, and part pools, okay? Like that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is if Jesus, if, if Jesus is our identity, we have to understand who Jesus is and, and and, and here it is. God is love. First John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Therefore, we must act in love. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's what I mean by that. To be marked by Christ is to be marked by who he is. And if God is love, then Christ is love. Therefore, we must be what? Love. And so all of our actions, everything that we are must be marked by love. All of your interactions must be marked by love. Well, what is love, right? 
Baby, don't hurt me. What is love, right? Like, what does that mean? And here's what it is. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, okay, you've heard this, okay? So what is love? Let's break it down. And, and think about it. As we read these characteristics of love, are there any in here? They should all represent you. They should all uh, uh, be in your actions. Are there any in here that, that you are just the opposite of? Um, and, and think about those and, and hold on to those and see, God, how can I change that? How can I be marked by love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. And I know, wives, you already started to poke your husband. But listen, it's not rude, so stop poking him, all right? So love's not rude. I, I think about, like, love, I, I, for my example for rude, um, I was, at, I was at Walmart last night um, because that's what you do when you procrastinate. And I was at Walmart last night um, uh, getting some flowers for my wife. And as I was getting the flowers at midnight, um, the, the, it was like, it was like 1539 or something, 1639, something like that. So I, I, I pull out a 20 and then I, all I have in my pocket is 38 cents. And so I said, here you go. Oh, I only have, I'm a penny short. And I just look at her, expecting what? Expecting, oh, don't worry about it. Or, oh, hey, I got a penny. Here's what I get. <laughs> and so I said, just a, just a penny short. And, and I just keep looking at her, and she goes, <clears throat> well. And I went, all right, here's my 20, right? And so everything in me wanted to, like, make her eat those, those roses, right? Like, I didn't, I didn't want to pay that money anymore, right? But I had to realize that love, even though I've, someone's treated me rudely, love is not rude. And I had to be kind and smile at her anyway, and it was difficult. And now I go to Target. All right, so anyway, <laughs> love does not insist on its own way. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love must mark our lives. And very simply, if you're saying, man, that's a lot of definitions for love. Very simply, let me give you this. Love is selfless. Love is selfless. Look at the example of Jesus. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So we must be marked by selflessness. To be marked by love is to be marked by selflessness because love is selfless. Think about your life. Think about your interactions at work. Have you been just trying to get ahead and just step on whoever you got to to do that? Maybe in, in your household, I'm the king of the castle, right? You know what I mean? I get my way. Have, have you been marked by love in all of your interactions? Maybe you've been to the same Walmart. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Have you been marked by love in all of your interactions? I want to give you a quick story about love. William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Prince Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of the princess was um, seriously ill with diphtheria. The doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter and endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. Once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the child said, Mama, kiss me. Without thinking of herself, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. She got diphtheria, and some days thereafter, she went to be forever with the Lord. Real love forgets self. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. 
The Bible says many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. We must be marked by this kind of love, this selfless love. And so, if Jesus is precious to you, then you will find precious what he finds precious, which is other people, which is showing love to other people, being selfless like he's selfless. The last characteristic of the belt is freedom. The belt freed up the soldier to move. Um, the, the belt was a thing that they never took off. You might get home, you might kick off your other armor and put it in the corner or wherever you put armor, I don't know, an armor closet, I don't know. But you might take that off, but you never take off your belt, ever. Because even when you didn't have your belt on, you still wore a tunic, you wore a cloak that was long and flowing. And so as you could put that belt on, you could gird up that tunic, you could gird up that robe so you could move, so you had freedom to move. You weren't burdened down by by that cloak, by whatever you were, uh, by whatever you were uh, wearing. And knowing the truth of the gospel, knowing the truth of who Jesus is, you do not have to be burdened by guilt or shame any longer. Guilt or shame are, is an amazing thing because it, can, it just crushes a person. And it's a silent crush. You know, like people don't even know. You could be sitting next to someone who's just being buried under guilt and under shame in their life and, and you have no idea. And it's a burden and, and it, it buries you down and, and it keeps you from, from being effective. It keeps you from, from God. It keeps you from your relationship with God. Not from God's side, but from your side because you feel so guilty and so shameful that you can't even approach him, right? But knowing the truth, knowing that you are right before God, not because of your actions, but because of Jesus's actions, that frees you from that guilt. It frees you from that shame and it frees you to come to him. And we recognize that in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews four sixteen says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We're free. We're free in the truth of who Jesus is. You're free of your guilt. You're free of your shame. You might say, yeah, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I mess up every now and then, but it doesn't matter because here's the reality. The throne of grace, the throne of Christ is waiting to help me, to forgive me and to help me and to help me turn around. Um, John eight thirty two. Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the truth we're talking about. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth that you don't have to just worry about, am I right before God? Am I gonna be with him forever when I die? Do I know him now? And all these things, because it's not reliant on you. It's reliant on what he's done. And so that truth sets us free from guilt and shame. We can know we're forgiven before God. And what that freedom enables us to do, it doesn't enable us to sit there. It enables us to move. It enables, it enables us to go out and to share that freedom with other people. I love in Jeremiah 29, the prophet says, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I love that idea that when we experience the freedom that's in Christ, if you've really experienced it, if you really find Christ precious and he really is what motivates you in this life, then you will share him with other people. You will share the grace that you have. You'll share the love that you have. You'll share the forgiveness that he's given you. You'll share the freedom you have with other people. And so it enables us to not live under guilt and shame anymore. It enables us to be free and it enables us to share that freedom with other people. 
So this morning, this first piece of armor in this battle, that's the belt of truth, um, this the, knowing that we can have a relationship with Christ through what he's done on the cross, knowing that we're forgiven before God, we can have a relationship with him now and when we leave here, um, that's the truth we're talking about. And that truth is fundamental. That truth is the foundation for us. And so he's to be, number one, precious to us. Secondly, he's to be our motivation in all things. Thirdly, we're to be marked by him and marked by his love. And lastly, we're free to love like he does. So Christians, let me ask you a few questions. Is he precious to you? First and foremost, is he precious to you? I don't mean is church precious to you. I don't mean are the people at church precious to you. I don't mean if morality is precious to you. I don't mean any of that. I mean, is he precious to you? Does he matter to you? Is he someone that you spend time with? Is he someone that, that matters deeply to you? Do you find him precious? Period. Because if you don't, then, then you're wasting your time trying to obey. Try, that, that never works. Love and, and devotion never comes from just obeying, does it? Right? Like, has that worked at work? You have a boss that's just constantly on your back, like, obey me, do what I say. And then you're like, wow, I really love that guy. It doesn't work that way. Being, being obedient and all of that, that comes from a devotion. That comes from a love. So he must be precious to you first. So is he precious to you first and foremost? And secondly, is his way what motivates and moves you? Is his way of doing things, is, is, is the law of Christ, the law of love, what motivates you as a parent? Is it what motivates you as a spouse? Is it what motivates you as a coworker? Is it, is it what motivates you as a boss? Is it what motivates you as a neighbor? Is that what motivates you? Thirdly, are your actions marked by love? If I were to follow you around, like today, and I might, I'm sneaky, all right? I really am. And if you go to a good restaurant and you're paying, I will definitely follow you, right? But, uh, but if, if, I, if I were to follow you around in all of your interactions and just to observe, would your interactions be marked by love? Would I be able to say, that was a loving response? You know what I mean? Like, or will I, or, or not? Are your actions, are your words, are, are your deeds marked by love? Is that what people think of when they see you? Is it a selfless way of living? Or do you like everyone else in this world? Do we live selfishly to meet our own needs? Are you marked by love? And lastly, lastly, do you live in freedom or do you wallow in guilt? Do you live in freedom or do you wallow in guilt? And where, where do you live? Do you live in the freedom of Christ or do you carry guilt and shame around with you? Because the Bible says there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free now. You're free from your guilt. You're free from your shame because of what he's done on the cross, not because of what you've done. And so now that you're free, you can go share that freedom with other people. You can enjoy him. You can find him precious because you're free now. You're free to enjoy God and to share that enjoyment with other people. Um, as the band comes back up, I, I guess I want to uh, say just one last thing. Um, some of you in this room have bought into a lot of lies you know, that our world is marked as truths. Some of you bought into a lot of different things. Some of you bought into the, the idea that, you know, um, I can be, I, I'm, I'm right with God because I go to church. I'm right with God because I was baptized when I was a kid. I'm right with God because, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, smoke or chew with girls that go, that go with girls that do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, some of you bought into that lie that you can earn the favor of God. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie. The truth is that you can be made right with God by one way, and that's through what Jesus has done on the cross, by trusting him as enough and following him as your new way to live. 
And so this morning, you know, there's some Christians that as I ask you those questions, maybe if you're really honest with you, you couldn't tell me that he's really that precious to you. And maybe some Christians, if you're really honest, you couldn't tell me that he's your motivation as a parent. He's your motivation in your life as a, as a spouse, or he's your motivation as whatever. You know, and some of you, 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 if you were completely honest with me, you'd have to say that your actions are not necessarily marked by love. Your actions aren't necessarily selfless. And so for you this morning, I, I pray that you would, you would put on the belts of truth today, that you would live marked by Jesus, marked by his love. Um, in everything that you do. And so maybe you need to surrender that to him today. So as we sing, and, 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 and as we sing this last song and, and get ready to go, um, if you want to come up here and use this, this, these stairs as an altar um, and put on the belt of truth, maybe for the first time in a long time today, then I encourage you to do that. But for some of you in this room, you bought into, you bought into a lot of lies. You bought into the lie that you can earn the favor of God. You can be made right with God if, if you just do this. Or maybe you've been bought into the lie that, you know, you can't come to Christ until I fix this in my life. You know, I can't be a follower of Jesus yet. I'm, I'm still an alcoholic. I, I, I can't be a follower of Jesus yet. Like, I, 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 still, I still have this, this lying problem. I, I'm still greedy. I'm, I'm still a thief. I'm still whatever. I'm an adulterer. I'm a whatever. I can't, I can't come to Jesus. I've got to fix this in my own life. You know, sometimes I, I struggle with, with hating, uh, uh, hating people in my life. I need to get that out before. That's a lie. The truth is that we are helpless in our sin without Christ. And so for some of you, you need to come to Christ for the first time. You need to come to the truth for the first time. And you need to say, you know what? Not my way anymore. Your way. You know what? I'm not going to rely on myself anymore because I know I'm not good enough. I'm going to come to you now. And I'm going to rely on your life now. I'm going to trust you. And the Bible says that if you do that, that you'll be forgiven. He'll name you as a child of his. And that when you die and you leave this earth, you'll be with him. But not just that you'll be with him in the future. You'll be with him now. You have a relationship with him now. And you can find him precious now. Maybe me talking about him being precious to you has been a weird thing. And you're like, What? The only thing I've ever heard anyone call precious is their cat. Like, that, what are you talking about being precious? If you don't understand what that means, then maybe you need to come surrender to him today and find him precious today. Really understand what it is to, to know the joy of Christ, to know that you're forgiven by him and that you're loved by him and you have purpose and meaning in, in this life because of him. That's a precious thing, to know him. And so maybe, maybe today, maybe you need to come forward and you need to say, you know what, I need to be forgiven today. I need, to, I need to have a new life today. I need to experience the truth today for the first time. The truth that I can know Jesus. I need to know that today. If that's you, when we, when we sing this song, I'm going to be down front. Brother John will be right here. We're on the front row. And don't be scared off by Brother John singing. It's rough, but don't be scared off by it. Come on up here and grab us and say, I, I need to know this truth today. And we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you. So we're going to sing. So go ahead and stand up, and, and, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing. And Christians, if you need to come put on the belt of truth, you come do that. Uh, people that, that need to trust Jesus for the first time, come trust him for the first time. Let me pray for us real quick before we start. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for giving us this time, God. I thank you um, for giving us this, this time to respond um, to what you've shown us in your word. Um, God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the truth that... We don't have to worry about where we stand with you based on our actions. But God, what you've done on the cross is enough for all of us. And God, we can be made right with you just by trusting what you've done for us. So God, I pray for the Christians in this room that need to put on the belts of truth. Maybe for the first time in a long time. 
that God, we would do that right now. We do that today. That God, we would find you precious again. We would enjoy you first and foremost again. Enjoy you before we enjoy law. And God, maybe we, maybe our actions haven't been ones of love. Maybe they haven't been selfless. God, may we commit to you to live a life of love, a life marked by selflessness as you were selfless for us. And God, for those in this room that don't know you, that God are separated from you right now because of their sin, they haven't been forgiven, they, they don't belong to you. That God, I pray that you would draw them right now. You'd pull them down front right now. That they would say, I need to be forgiven. I need to follow Christ now. I need to give him my life. God, draw them to yourself today. God, just use this.